you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. What's up, Movement Church? It's good to see your beautiful faces. For those of you that are new, my name is Carrie. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and uh, my wife and I had the privilege of planting this church. And for those of you that are not new, we are back from vacation and rested, rejuvenated, stoked. Thank you for letting us be gone for a couple of weeks. Uh, it was awesome, and now we're back. Got a little bit more of a tan, got to swim with a whale shark. My life was changed. It was awesome. We'll tell you, I'm sure that'll work its way into a sermon at some point, but uh, I, I'm excited to share a thought with you today, and uh, we're, we're continuing with our series uh, called The Exchange, and, and this is The Exchange Remix. Uh, we started this series in uh, March of 2020, and I don't know if you guys know what happened in March of 2020, uh, but we had to make a couple of adjustments. So we decided to bring it back uh, like a remix, remastered album, and uh, it's all about the Book of Romans. But before I dive into that, I just, I, I'm, uh, man, I spent a lot of time praying specifically for tonight, and I just feel like God wants to do something unique and we're going to conclude our service with some worship, and I'm going to share a few thoughts, and my hope is that uh, they're inspiring, uh, but I really hope that, that there's something to you catch today, that I catch today, that is transformational for us. But what I want most is that we experience God's presence in a profound way. I mean, that's what we need. I mean, you can get a sermon uh, every moment of every day on your phone right now. Uh, you have instant access to some of the greatest preachers on the planet. And, uh, and so that's not what tonight is about. In fact, church is not about coming to a service to sing a song, hear a message, say hi to some people I like, and leave. It's actually about coming to a building with fellow believers and worshiping the true and living God. That's what church is about. Unfortunately, we've made it about us. And church has always been about worshiping God. And in the process of that, what he does is the miraculous. He, he takes our worship and does the transformational internally. And then he takes people like you. Maybe you're here, and this isn't in my notes. We're going to see where this goes tonight. You may be standing up here for a long time. Hope that's okay. Uh, he, he does the miraculous, and, and he works with each of us uniquely. So he knows your story, he knows your background, he knows the pain points that you've walked through this week, the pain points you've walked through this year. He knows the successes that you've had and, and the failures you've had. He knows your journey of faith with him, whether it's been for, uh, like some of my friends in here, Michael Calderon, won't mention any name or ages, but a long time. <laughs> or like some of my friends in here for a short time. He, he's able to do uniquely in your life exactly what you need in this moment and our responsibility is merely to tune in and I, I'm afraid that in our western culture we have like we look at church like it's a TED talk like give me 20 minutes of red carpet and inspire me and gosh we miss it we miss it and so I want to share some thoughts from the book of Romans um, 
quite honestly, I've preached this message before at this church. It's on our podcast. You can go back to March of last year. I'm going to preach it again and tell the same jokes. Uh, they're good. They're good jokes. Uh, got a couple new illustrations, I think. Um, but I don't want to miss what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And I was just thinking, um, can you give me like 35 minutes? Our production team, Sahar, she hates me. So she, it says a minute and 30 seconds. I have to close and now it says four minutes. So she's like, please be done preaching. So I'm going to try to get done with this pretty close to 6.05 and then we're going to worship for a few minutes. Um, but I was just thinking today um, about like the, the, the darkest moments of my life. Isn't that a good place to start with this <laughs> If you're new, come back again. Uh, if not, this church meets tomorrow at 9 and 11 a.m. You can come here and visit them. They're a great church. But uh, I was just thinking about the darkest moments of my life. So I was, I was a pastor's kid. In fact, my sister and her husband are here, which I'll give it up for Jeff and Tracy Hook, all the way from Texas. And uh, she doesn't know Jesus. We're praying for her. Her husband does, so it's pretty cool. And um, I was just thinking about it. I, I was raised as a pastor's kid, and I, I think you probably heard about pastor's kids before. And I was pretty good at being one of those. And I, I, I followed God for a long time, and then I had a season, a hiatus of about like three years where I did what I wanted to do. And um, I pursued evil. When you pursue evil, you find it. And it's funny when you find what, when, when you search after something you think you want, and you finally get to that place, the pain that follows that is like a tsunami that follows you for a lifetime. And um, I was just thinking about that season of my life and how I, I sprinted away from God and he was like aggressively sprinting after me. And I was just distancing myself from him. And I pursued just stupid choices and I found them really quickly and the pain was overwhelming, and then I, I, I had to conceal it. I had to hide it because the shame that followed that was overwhelming. I don't know, have you, anybody in here experienced shame before? And um, and and in, in some reason, in, in church, we feel like we can't talk about that side of who we were, we are. And then my my shame and pain got found out. You ever been on that side? Like, I didn't talk about it, it got found out. And that's even worse. Uh, having conversations with my mom that were horrible, where she's just weeping and saying, I didn't raise you to be like this. Like, it's horrible. And I think through that season of my life and what it felt like, and, and I remember thinking, I don't want to keep on with this. And it was in that moment of my life where I experienced the presence of God in such a, a supernatural way. It was as if he knelt down and reached into the swamp of sadness. Anyone? The never-ending story? Some of y'all need to get a life and watch a good movie. Our text is sinking in the swamp of sadness. Our text! Get out of my church right now. Y'all don't know that movie? Online, please tell me. Somebody online, throw like a tray you in the chats for a moment. Please, holy smokes. That's going to be in At The Movies this year for sure. So... So, our text, the horse, is sinking in the swamp of sadness, and he's overwhelmed by sadness, so he sinks faster. And Atreyu is screaming, our text! And the horse dies. This is a children's movie. 
And, and that is like the greatest symbol of my life in the darkest moments of my life. Like overwhelmed with grief and shame. And it was as if God knelt down into the midst of that and, and like got in the nasty and pulled me out. Like, like covered in my filth. And then said, you're going to make it. And I, that was enough, right? But it, it's not enough for humanity because we were never designed to go through that alone. And then I had an amazing group of guys that came around me and put their arms around me. And to be honest, sometimes put my arm around them because I wasn't, you know, proverbially strong enough to walk. And they said, you're going to make it. There's going to be some pain ahead of you because there's consequences that follow every choice. And, and I was called to ministry. I'm a pastor's kid, third generation's pastor's kid. I'm married to a preacher's kid. I was going to be in ministry, and I thought that was over because of the choices that got me to the proverbial swamp of sadness. And, and I, I knew God's grace was for me, but I didn't think there was a future ahead of me. And these guys got around me and walked me through restoration. And, and, and that's why I'm able to be here today, not because I'm great, because I can tell you that every time I stand here before I walk to the pulpit, the enemy's like right there going, man, you, you're not equipped. You're not good enough. If people know your story, you, you shouldn't be standing at the pulpit. So I have to remind myself of God's plan for me, right? But these gentlemen just said, no, there's still a future ahead of you. And that's the beauty of the church. That's why we gather. So we worship a God who... Who for each of us, in your darkest moment, got into the midst of the grossness and said, man, I, I still choose you. But the church is here so we can grab the arms of the people who aren't strong enough to walk on their own and say, man, we got you because there's still a future ahead of you. So when you watch a video and Bianca says, we have Bring a Friend Sunday coming up, it's not like a cute thing. It's like, holy cow, we have the opportunity to invite people into a community of faith where no one is perfect. Megan's close. <laughs> Except at home. Definitely not perfect at home. <laughs> and we have an opportunity to invite people into that community of faith and say, hey, when you are sinking in the swamp of sadness, we got you. And if you're strong enough and you're, on, you're, you're doing great right now, then you need to be helping people who are walking through the pain. And that's what the church is here. So can I just say, for those of you that have been a part of the movement church for a long time, thanks for being here on a Saturday night. I know church is supposed to be on Sunday. <laughs> we don't have a building yet. And this church is awesome. So thanks for being here. Stay, stay faithful. Let, let's be the church that comes around people who are sinking in the midst of the muck and the mire, remind them that Jesus got into the filth with him. Amen? I need to preach a message. And it, probably a great segue. Are you doing good, Brooks? Good. Um, probably a great segue because this, this series is on the, the book of Romans and and this is like the great Christian manifesto. We, this is week two, so if you missed last week, it's on the podcast. It's also on March's podcast from last year, if you want to check that out. 
And uh, this is one of Paul's greatest writings. It has these huge theological revelations about God's nature and his divine plan of salvation and his love for us. But really the whole heartbeat uh, behind why Paul wrote, wrote Romans was because he's saying, hey, Christian, you, Jesus loved you just as you are and gave all of his, he jumped into the, the nasty of, of your life and said, I love you enough to save you from the depravity of your sin but I love you way too much to let you stay that way. Like our mission is to grow spiritually. That we, we don't stay where we are in our spiritual walk with the Lord, but we're taking steps towards what God has for us. That is what Paul writes Romans for. But he's pointing out the fact that, that, that all of salvation is about Jesus and only Jesus, not adding to or taking away, but it's about Jesus. And he bookends this, this book, he, he, the book of Romans, which is in the, the New Testament, about a few, a few books in. And, and he bookends the book of Romans, which is a letter written to the church in Rome. And, and he bookends it with this statement that we read in Romans chapter 1. It says, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about, look at this, the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. He starts the book and ends the book with, hey, there needs to be obedience in our faith. Uh, an obedience to what God wants to do and what God wants to say. And he's saying, there's far too much at stake and there's far too much God wants to do in your life to simply stay as you are in your journey of faith. And I, I want to just take a moment and, and, and kind of unpack just a, a smidge of, of what Paul is talking about in, in this. And, and then I want to just kind of conclude with worship and just, just let God do what he wants to do. And I just hope you'll lean in for a moment and, and, and not just, just tune out. And, uh, and then we'll see what God does. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let's pray. God, I just thank you that you're here, and I thank you that you're right here on the other side of the camera for those that are tuning in online, watching on a TV or a smart device or YouTube, and God, you, you have an ability to do just something amazingly miraculous in our life, and right now, God, that's what we want. We, we want to grow in our faith. We want to become spiritually mature believers, and I just pray that you'd help us over the next few moments to discover the fullness of what it is that you want to do. In Jesus' mighty and precious name, I pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. Well, let me give you kind of a, a brief recap. Thank you, Brooks. You can moonwalk off the stage now. Let me give you a brief recap for those of you that, that maybe didn't tune in or you weren't here last week, uh, uh, kind of where we are in this this the series on the book of Romans. And, and so Paul is writing a letter to the church in Rome. And, and, and he's writing to the church in Rome because there's some serious problems happening. So in, in the church of Rome, there's two groups of people who are attending church. There are Jews and then there are Gentiles. And all that means is that there simply is a people who comes from a Jewish heritage, and their heritage is predominantly built on holidays they celebrate, 
foods they do or do not eat, and the fact that God set them apart as his people. Well, Jesus comes on the scene. He dies on the cross for the sins of humanity and says, okay, it doesn't matter what your heritage is. It doesn't matter where you were born, what you look like, who you are, that my grace is for everyone. So this church in Rome has all these groups of people at the same time, and they're experiencing some conflict. So when Paul writes them in the beginning of the book, he says, I long to see you in verse 11 so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. The reason he would say that is because the people in the church of Rome were not mutually encouraged by each other's faith. There was conflict. You had people from two different people groups. And if you listened or, or paying it, tuning in last week, you know that in Rome, over in just a little under 200 years, they had literally kicked the Jews out three times. So there was anti-Semitism that is running rampant. The Jews were gone. Gentiles were there, all under the banner of the faith in who Jesus is. Then the Jews get to come back in, and they find out the Gentiles aren't living the way the Jews were living, and there is a major conflict. A little history lesson for you. You're welcome. And they're at odds over three specific things. Number one, what holidays the Gentiles were observing. Number two, bacon. Yes. Obviously, the Jews are on the wrong side of this equation because bacon is magical. Can I get an amen from everybody who knows? Literally, they're, they're sitting down to eat dinner and the Gentiles are pulling out bacon and pork sausage and the Jews are like throwing their wine glasses at them. What are you doing? And the other thing they're arguing over, and this is a little awkward in church, is circumcision. Jews were circumcised, the Gentiles were not. I'm not sure how they found out who was and who was not circumcised. I'm not positive, but we'll move on. I don't know if that was in their next step course for the church. But if you want to kill a move of God, if you want to kill what God wants to do, the best thing you can do is create division among the children of God. And that's exactly what's taking place. Paul's like, hey, God is awesome. Look what he's doing in our life, and you're fighting about bacon. It was dividing the church. And he's going, you guys are missing it. The church in Rome was divided. The Gentiles were diluting the gospel. And the Jews were adding to it. Drawing what I call pharisaical circles. I'm going to unpack what that means, but pharisaical circles. Somebody say pharisaical circles. And you're saying, what are pharisaical circles? I'm so glad that you asked. It's man's attempt to add to or take away from God's plan. Man's attempt to add to or take away from God's plan. If you remember from last week, we talked about how the human condition says that what God says isn't enough. That happened at the very beginning of the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve said, well, hey, we understand what you said, God, but it's not quite enough. We're gonna eat the fruit we're not supposed to eat, thus the fall of man. And so we find these religious leaders that are specifically in the Jewish faith, and they're called Pharisees. And God gave the Jewish people ten commandments and said, here's the commandments that if you honor and obey and live by, I'll give you my blessings. They had commandments like, hey, there's only one God. Don't worship any idols. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Some big ones like don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery, things like this. Well, the Pharisees were like, well, we want to love the Lord. 
We want to walk in righteousness. So if he said we have to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, well, if this is the Sabbath, we don't want to break that commandment. So what they did is they drew a circle around it and built an electrical fence and a wall and said, okay, this is where the commandment from God, so if this is it, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, then what we're going to do is say, hey, there's only a certain number of steps you can take on a Sabbath. You could take 1,999 steps, but you could not take 2,000 because the Pharisees said that's breaking the Sabbath. You could carry a glass of water or a glass of milk because you would need it to drink, but if you carried a jug of water or a jug of milk, then you were working for the next week and you're breaking the Sabbath. You could carry a piece of paper because you might need to write a letter or a to-do list or journal, but you could not carry a stack of paper because that is work. That wasn't God's commandment. The Pharisees added this to it. They drew a circle around it because they don't want to break this commandment. They, they want to be righteous. They want to do what's good. And they drew a circle around it. And then they drew even more circles to where they had about 2,000 laws for every commandment that God gave them that they made up. They drew this pharisaical circle. And I call that the circle of addition. Adding to what God had already given them. And the hope the plan was great. They, they, they wanted to walk in righteousness. They wanted to be in right standing with God. The problem was they ended up working to gain righteousness. If I do enough good things, then I will be righteous. Pharisaical circles, circles of addition. The Gentiles, however, would hear the commandments from God... And then they removed what made them feel uncomfortable. They went crazy with sexual immorality. They went crazy with drunkenness. They went crazy with the way that they lived. Yes, the Bible talks about all these things. They said, oh, okay, well, God said, man, it's his grace. His mercy is so sufficient. Man, I've experienced the love of who God is. His grace is beautiful. And the Jews show up and like, nah. Rah, 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 rah. They're like, I don't want to bring my friends around. Those Jews are crazy. I like bacon. I'm not getting circumcised. Leave me alone. I'm a grown man. It's okay to laugh. It's all right. And so what they did is they said, if it makes me feel uncomfortable, I'm going to slowly dilute the gospel. And the hope was a good motive. They, they wanted to make it as easy as possible for people to experience the grace and mercy of Jesus that they had experienced. The problem is they were diluting the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, here's the thing. The circles of addition exploit the wrath of God and project shame. The circles of subtraction exploits the mercy of God and supplements my obedience with my desires. Whew, that's good. Y'all should write that down. <laughs> Let me just give you kind of a, a simple illustration of how this works. There are some of you in this room. You are my people. And I already know who you are. You are on time to everything you go to. Raise your hand right now. Right now. If you're on time people. Yes. And then there's everyone else. Y'all know what I'm talking about. There are people who are on time. And you're the kind of person, you're like me, that if you're on time, you're late. Can I get an amen? So if you have an appointment, you plan your whole day to make sure you can get there just a little bit early because being early is a great representation of your character and integrity. Can I get, who is on time people? Yes, you are my people. And then there's everybody else. 
And you're late to everything. And here's the funniest thing. You don't realize you're late to everything. And you know who knows? The on-time people. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you are married in here. Your spouse is on time and you are late. And your spouse is constantly doing this right here. And it doesn't matter what you try. It seems to be impossible for them to be on time. And for people who are on time, it matters. You gave me a time frame to be here. So I'm gonna honor that. And that's a representation of my character and my integrity. So I will do what I can, not to just be there on time, but to be there early. I'm gonna go beyond what is expected. That's like a circle of addition. And the people who are late, you've decided that the time frame I gave you wasn't that important to you. And your time frame is a little more important. It's like a circle of subtraction. No judgment, it's okay if you're late or early. We are already judging you anyways, so it's okay. I just wanna give you kind of a little bit of an illustration. Both of these circles cause or project shame. So let me talk about pharisaical, pharisaical circles that you and I often create. I'd encourage you to take notes, I think it'll be worth it. And here's my, my, my question, or really my request. Please don't listen for a friend or a spouse, but listen for yourself. And let's just see where we might have been drawing some pharisaical circles that are impacting our faith. Number one, circles produce religion. Pharisaical circles produce religion. You see, this is man's attempt to shift daily surrender into a task list. We just want to know, just like, give, give, give me a list. Give me a to-do list. Just tell me what I need to do. How many of you are checklist kind of people? Raise your hand. Yeah. You have a to-do list and you hit it all. How many of you always accomplish your checklist? That's because you're lying to yourself. Let's move on. It feels like accomplishment. I don't know if you've ever been to therapy or not. I have. We've spent thousands of dollars on therapy because my wife is, just, no, I'm kidding. I, for me, for me, for me. And let me just kind of save you some money. Um, you need therapy, but there comes a point when you get there, and with all, and we have a couple therapists here, so I love you. I'm not gonna make eye contact with you, but there gets this point where in every therapy session, you're like, just tell me what to do. I don't wanna talk about my feelings anymore. I'm done with that. Just tell me what I need to do to change my wife in Jesus now. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Just tell me what to do. Give me the solution. Give me the five-step process. Tell me what I need to do so I don't have to think about it. And, and, and pharisaical circles turn what God created into a religion, a checklist of do's and don'ts. So I don't have to think about it. I just kind of operate like a robot. And then our faith becomes a merit badge system that I wear proudly. I've got a church attendance marriage merit badge. I've got a volunteer merit badge. I've got a tithing merit badge. I've got a prayer merit badge. I've got a treat other people well merit badge. I've got a, I drink through a paper straw so I can save the turtles merit badge. Can I get an amen? I got a, I return the shopping cart no matter what because I got a, I, I'm a social advocate on social media merit badge. I mean, we have merit badges for what it is that we do because we, we're, we're unintentionally working to find righteousness. We're trying to earn it, to earn the grace of God, to earn the mercy of God. And, and it makes sense because we have to earn everything else in life, right? If you don't go to work, you don't get a paycheck, which means you can't live in a home, drive a car, 
eat food. We, we earn everything else in life, so it makes sense that I've got to earn righteousness. But Paul's saying, no, that's not how this works. In Romans chapter 1, he's going, no, listen, through Christ we receive grace. He gave us grace. I, now, I'm, I'm married. Many of you know that. I've been married for 20 years. We've been together since March 19th, 1997. I was in seventh grade, and she was a freshman in college. You knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. She's only a year older than me. She said, you have to tell them. People think I'm like 10 years older. I said, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. I'm married. I've got a certificate of marriage. Uh, we've got rings. Mine's tattooed. looks like a plus symbol because it's a really bad tattoo. We have children together. We live together. We sleep in the same bed. We're married. But all of those components, those elements, just simply make it a binding contract, but it doesn't make it a marriage. What makes it a marriage is a relationship. It's not the fact that I sleep in the same bed. That's just cohabitation. It's the relationship. It's the fact that I know Megan. It's the fact that I know right now her flat iron is in her sink with about three pounds of hair. Five years ago, I started collecting it to knit a sweater. It's amazing. I know that she doesn't know how to choose knives in the kitchen. I know that. She will literally try to cut a watermelon open with a paring knife. I watched her try to sharpen a serrated knife one time. I said, stop that. Put that down. I have knives she can't even use. She's not allowed to there for me. But I also know she comes alive when she's preaching. Like, like there's nothing like it for her to stand up here and preach. She does not care what you think about her. She has some, a rich deposit on the inside, and she wants you to experience Jesus the way she has. I know she's madly in love with Jesus. She gets up every morning to read the word, to journal, to worship, to pray for you, for me, for our family, for the people who aren't even here yet. I know that, that, that what makes her come alive is, is not just bringing her flowers or giving her gifts, but it's when I sit down and we dream together. Like to dream about the future because when she's dreaming, she comes alive. How do I know that? Because I have a marriage certificate? Because I sleep in the same bed with her? Because I have a, a, a tattoo on my finger? I know that because I have a relationship with her. I'm invested in who she is and she's invested in who I am. And that's God's heart for you and for me. Circles produce religion, but God wants relationship. Romans 3 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 24 says, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All have sinned and fall short, but all are justified through the gift that is Christ Jesus. Look at what verse 25 says. It's a really big word. We don't ever use it, but it says this. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This verse right here is the crux of the entire book of Romans. It's the crux of the entire theology that Paul teaches, that Jesus is our propitiation. Now, we don't use that word anymore, but it means to remove God's wrath. He, Jesus is the propitiation it removed God's wrath. Look at me. God created you, and he chose you. He chose humanity for relationship. 
But we chose what we wanted. We said, God, what you say is poisonous, I'll say it's harmless. You said don't eat the fruit. You said you had a plan for me. You said just walk in obedience. You have blessings and purpose and future for me, but I'll choose what I want. And we separated and severed the relationship with God. It was a separation, and there are consequences for sin. It's death and eternity in hell. That is the wrath of God. It doesn't mean he doesn't love us. It just means he has a way that is for you and for me. And if we choose anything other than his way, then there is wrath to come. We don't like to talk about wrath in church too much these days. And Jesus reached into the filth and became the propitiation. So he took the wrath of God for me and for you. He made us righteous, to be in right standing with God. That's what Paul is saying. And he's saying this to the Jews and the Gentiles who are at war over bacon. Because the Jews say, we know the right way. And the Gentiles are saying, we know the right way. The Jews are trying to work for their righteousness and faith. The Gentiles say, we don't need all of that. And Paul's saying, Jesus stepped into the middle and became righteousness, so it's a gift to you. A gift, which means you cannot earn it. You cannot earn it. We sit up here drawing circles of subtraction or addition, adding to what God's saying, removing what makes us feel uncomfortable, and it creates a religion, and God's just going, I desperately want to be in relationship with you. I just want to be in relationship. You know what else circles do? They fuel comparison. Circles fuel comparison. We see this all the time. Specifically in the church. It was happening, it was at work at the church in Rome. What, what is it? What, what, what are you talking about? Well, see, we, we look at each other's lives and we measure our faith against each other. We measure our success against each other. We measure whether or not God loves us as much as somebody else based upon how they behave, what they do, who they are, what they've accomplished. God never measures you against me. He never has, never will. He never looks at me and compares me to Pastor Joe to see who's doing a little bit better. Thank God, I would never measure up. He just doesn't do it. He doesn't go, well, you know, let's see, Brooks, do you, how, how often are you praying? Just a couple minutes a day? Well, Carrie's praying four minutes a day. He's a little bit better. It sounds foolish when I say it out loud, doesn't it? But we do this all the time. We have allowed the behavior of others to set the standard for our lives. And this is a double-sided coin. One side either leads to pride, the other side leads to this disappointment. When I measure my life against yours, if I end up feeling like I never quite measure up, I don't have what it takes, well then shame ensues and disappointment sets in. But at the same time, if I look at your life and I feel like I might 
have it all together. I'm, a, I'm a, maybe a little bit better, a little bit smarter, a little bit more faithful, a little bit more godly. I act a little bit better. Well, then I must actually be better. And pride sets in. God never created us to measure ourselves against each other. And Paul is literally in the midst of this with the church in Rome. The Jews saying, we know how to really live as Christians. And the Gentiles saying, no, we know how to really live as Christians. And the heat of the battle surges over the topic of circumcision. I know you're thinking, please stop saying that word. It's awkward. But just rewind a couple thousand years in the scripture. God spoke to Abraham. He says, you're kids are going to be my, my people. I'm going to set you apart. I'm going to give you a promised land. And from your heritage will come the Savior of all humanity. And what separated them in that season of life was circumcision. They're arguing with the Gentiles. If you're really going to be a Christian, then you need to go through that process. They drew a circle around it. And Paul said, no, Jesus broke the mold. Jesus paid the price. You can't earn it through any act. It's already yours. So why are you arguing about it? Paul always brought it back to the heart. He said a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is a circumcision of the heart. In other words, it's in your heart that separates you unto God. The free gift of God's justification is yours to receive. And God's always looking at the condition of our heart. We're looking at the external. We're looking at what we see on the outside, but God's just looking at your heart. So what is the condition of your heart today? Is it fully surrendered? Is it caught up in drawings, circles of subtraction, or circles of addition? Is it, is it caught up in comparison? What's the condition of your heart? Not the person seated next to you, but you. What, what's the condition of your heart? Circles fuel comparison, but God wants us fueled by conviction. Conviction comes from inside, based on the Word of God. That's the asterisk. Not just from within, but based on the word of God. And he gave us the Holy Spirit as a guide. So my life cannot be fueled by trying to behave or be like somebody else. It has to be fueled by his word for me. Are you with me tonight? Circles produce religion. They fuel comparison. And circles foster compromise. Foster's compromise with 53 seconds to go. I don't think I'm going to do it. You know, I think the circle of subtraction is plaguing our culture right now. I, and probably unintentionally, all of us in this room have been caught up into it at one point or another, especially over the last 18 months. We have multiple generations saying that I will decide what God's heart is for me. I'll decide. I, think of the audacity. I will choose to decide God's plan for me even though he's my creator. We, we have this, this idea of, God, I'm gonna fit you into my lifestyle. 
into my desires, my needs, my wants, and I want you to bless me. So I want you to do it my way, my timing, how and when I want you to, and I still want you to bless me. It's a circle of subtraction. It's like I'm going to remove the things that I don't need right now. Take up my cross and follow you. You know what's challenging right now? Is distance learning. That's what's challenging right now. It was challenging my boss wants me to come back to the office. Yeah. Can you even imagine? Even though 12 months ago you're like, no way! I'm not working from home. Now you're like, no way, I love my PJs. They are awesome. Take up my cross. Do you realize when Paul's writing to the Jews in Rome, just 15 years earlier they were kicked out of Rome for being a Jew? <laughs> so when he says, take up your cross, and he tells them, when Jesus said, hey, when a Roman soldier asked you to carry his stuff for a mile, which was a law, they could stop any Jew and say, hey, carry my luggage for that mile. He said, carry it another one. That's taking up your cross. It's like this place where my will, my desires intersects with what God wants to do with my life. If you ever wrestle with obedience to God, that is taking up your cross. That's what Paul is talking about right here. Then what we do is we build up these social circles of people who support my truth. This is, I'm going to ask a question. I want you to answer. It's not a trick question. Chickens lay what? Let's say that again. Now say it with some confidence. There are two groups of people in this room. Those of you who pronounced it eggs and the rest of you which need to go back to school and said eggs. What is this right here? Some of you said legs. How many of you say legs? Raise your hand. Thank you, girly Gordy. Get out of our church right now. So we were going to breakfast with some friends of ours in the Inland Empire. They said, oh, this place has the best eggs ever. I said, I'm sorry, what'd you say? They have the best eggs. I said, what are eggs? They said, you know, eggs. I said, no, I don't know what eggs are. Are you talking about eggs? Oh, that's so ridiculous. They're pronounced eggs. So we go into the restaurant and the waiter comes up to our table I said, would you say eggs or eggs? He said, well, E says A, so I would say eggs. I was like, get out of here right now. And that's why if you're from the Inland Empire, you can't come to our church. I'm sorry. No, I'm kidding. What was so funny is they went crazy like I was wrong because they found someone to support their truth, even though it's dead wrong. And that's what we do. We draw circles of subtraction. We remove things that make us feel uncomfortable and then we build social circles who support the truth we've created. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. When I decide God's plan for my life, I lose God's direction for my life. Look at what Romans chapter one says in the message paraphrase. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. I'm just telling you right now, 
When we draw circles of subtraction or circles of addition, we're leading ourselves to a place where God is absent from what we are doing in life. Not because he doesn't want to be there. He desperately wants to be a part. But God is so loving that he allows us to live the life that we choose to live. He sent Jesus as a free gift of grace who took on the shame and the pain of the sins of humanity. And then he says, okay, look, it's okay that you're not perfect, but let's walk towards obedience in faith. Circles foster compromise, but God is looking for obedience. Not perfection, not having it all figured out, not knowing every step to take, but just simply obedience. And let's just be honest, that is some of the hardest things to do. And so what he's not saying is for the rest of your life, you have to be obedient without, obedient without failure. He's just saying, hey, can you trust me in this moment today? Can you trust me for this moment today to be obedient? Can you just trust me with today? You don't even have to worry about tomorrow. Jesus said that. Don't worry about what tomorrow will bring. Just live right here in this moment and make your life about saying, God, what do you want to do in my life today? And I will be available. And sometimes it's going to be awesome and exciting. And sometimes it's going to be painful and challenging. But that's the life that you and I want to live. And Paul shows up with this letter to the church in Rome and says, hey, you're fighting about the wrong thing. You're fighting about th stuff that doesn't matter anymore. What matters is choosing obedience today so I can become more like God created me to be and I can help people in my city find the hope that is found in him. It's just simply being obedient. So here's my question for you as I close today. I'm about three minutes over what I said. Where are you drawing pharisaical circles in your walk with the Lord? Are they circles of addition? or circles of subtraction? Do you find yourself adding to and putting more pressure, contributing to more shame than you need? Or do you find yourself subtracting from? I'm not sure I really need that, God. I'll let you know when it's time. I'm gonna do me right now. I got this covered. Where are you drawing pharisaical circles in your life? I would challenge you to lean into the Holy Spirit and just simply say, today, God, help me see. Where am I missing the mark so I can walk in obedience? Can I pray for us for a moment? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, I just thank you that you're at work in our life. God, it's challenging to be obedient. It's challenging not to draw circles unintentionally. It's challenging not to walk in our own process, in our own system. God, I just pray that you would give us insight and wisdom. But God, right now, I pray more than anything else that your Holy Spirit would lean in and show us the places we need to make adjustments. Show us the places we need to make some changes. Show us the places we're drawing some circles that we don't need to be drawing so that we can simply walk in obedience. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Hey, let me talk to some of you in the room and some of you who are watching online who maybe you just need to begin the journey with Jesus. The greatest news is the fact that you don't have to get your past in order. You don't have to be a member of a church 
You don't have to get everything perfect. Jesus already did the heavy lifting. The Bible says all we have to do is to believe. To believe. You know what that means? Look at me. To believe that Jesus chose you. To believe that Jesus, just like with me, knows the darkest moments of your life and reaches into the midst of the muck and the mire and says, no, I still choose you. And he's the gift of grace and salvation. And all you have to do is say yes. And there's some of you in this room and some of you who are tuning in online and you've never begun the journey with Jesus and right now is your moment. In just a second, I'm gonna pray a prayer. Nobody has to know. And right where you're at, right where you're watching, just make the prayer, I pray your own. And let's begin this journey with Jesus today. Would you do me a favor one more time? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Nobody looking around, nobody moving. If that's you, and it's time to begin the journey for the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time, would you just make these words your own? Just say, dear God, I know you love me. I'm not perfect. I've made some mistakes. Would you forgive me? Thank you for choosing me. And now make this statement your own. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name, I pray. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.